Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Radiant Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martin Kales River. Alongside the chapters of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I'm going to say that until I don't need to anymore. Because they are seceding from that <laughs> they not seceding. What's the what's the word? Um, <laughs> we we call it multiplication, not division. So oh. if so if 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 parish if if congregations who were, who had grown towards chapelry status and then towards parochial district status, when they declared so when they chapelries they still connected to a mother church. Hmm. So when they are you know, challenge to become parochial district status, things like the fi- financial viability is checked, um, their structure, all the things in place, then they declared a parochial district. Then it's a multiplication because now out of, let's say in our case at St. Carroll's River, three congregations with the mother church, the two chapelries will become the parochial district. That means that we're multiplying, we're getting extra parish, parochial district state, parochial district towards parish status. So there's another kind of independent uh, congregation now that's been established. So it's multiplication, not division of the, the parish, it's multiplication of parishes. Uh, when we had the Diocese of Cape Town and we, we became three dioceses out of that, it was multiplication of dioceses. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the concept okay so, so in june month of this year uh there will be there's 10 congregations right now 10 um parishes right now in the di- in the archdeaconry of blue dance with with the parochial district happening now in june month that's it that's an 11th component which means mm-hmm. that our diocese would move up to 50 parishes now not 49 Ah, the magic 50 number. Um, I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith and discussions of the intricacies of the business of the church <laughs> in this time of crisis. And I'm joined by the voice of, I can see his face because we, we we record this on, on a video chat, um, of the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you today, sir? It is Palm Sunday. Um, my fingers, I think, still remember how to make the crosses. Uh, of the, uh, I don't actually know how many I contributed to the 2000, um, or the 2000 and Four, uh, 2114. 2114 that were made last night. It was my first time ever folding or knotting or what, what do you call that? Making oh, palm. Making, making palm palms. Crosses, palm crosses from palm leaves. Yes. Yes. Making yes. palm crosses from palm leaves. Um, yes. How are you? How are you doing? Did you, did you sleep very, very, well? Yeah, I did. I did sleep because I think, you know, in a sense, there was an accomplishment. Um, I, I was called by the person who organizes this at about 10 past five yesterday while I was snoozing after a, after a funeral service that I'd done. Um, and she said, Father, uh, some people want you to teach them how to make the crosses. So I went over to do that so the accomplishment over the many years that i've been here now been able to help people learn how to make the cross especially the youth because the confirmants were asked to to come and then i just heard them saying um come and learn how to make palm crosses and if if you do not know how father whiteman will teach you (laughs) (laughs) so i had satisfaction in in passing on the skills to new generations of of, of our congregants and also the joy of being able to share in terms of making it until we reach 2000, which is our target every year. Um, okay. Because, you know, people when on Palm Sunday would not just take one, they would take four family members who are not able yeah. to come to church. Um, you know, the, the elders of our church who are um, at home and would have had their, <clears throat> their store of Palm crosses over the years. Look forward to receiving one um, of of the crosses. Um, and I mean, it's, it's it's just such a wonderful skill to have developed. Who would who would have thought that bringing to you know the palm leaf is you can you can tear in half because there is a dividing line, and to put the two together in such a way, it's just quite interesting um, for me. It is, and I learned two separate techniques. 
uh, last night. Um, one was just with with one half of that of that blade, and then the other was with the two halves. And I probably forgot both techniques while I was making it uh, three times. <laughs> <laughs> like I think I ended the the last couple I was making was on the first technique that I learned. Okay. <laughs> I think it was like an amalgamation of of the two. Um, where there was an extra kind of loop thing going that made more logical sense. But anyway, I'm I'm a nerd when it comes to like techniques like that. Um, and the conversation was good. I got to catch up with someone I haven't seen in at least two decades. Like obviously, this is the first proper Palm Sunday since the pandemic again. Because last last year you guys were outside. We we yeah, and then of course numbers were limited in yeah. certain cases, and so. Um, it depends very much on the weather, whether we do a procession mm. from outside in. Um, but um, yeah, so this is the first proper one. And, you know, I had to go and check on the material I had uh, dealt with in the past just to find out um, how it will now go again in <laughs> yeah, new time. Learn. With old the old structure you know the lit liturgy so i had to add things because the 2022 mm. and 2021 was we had to cut it short because we had to keep the service shorter yeah so it was quite interesting how liturgy was established so it was a very creative period for me because you know you think you are thinking you need to finish this within the hour because that's what the law said and how are we going to do it? How are we going to break them? What you take up, what you leave in, how do yeah. you recreate? So it was quite an interesting experience um, to be able to, to to shorten the liturgy, to have what one would assume is the relevant points, and then also the rhythm of the liturgy, uh, because it has a rhythm to it. Um, and so one has to then find ways to, to do that. But, you know, coming here to St. George's uh, with St. Mark's and St. Monica's, uh, from Ash Wednesday through the next five five weeks, um, the people had a six o'clock service here in the morning. And the, in, the important thing was you start at six o'clock, you end at 20 past six. Yeah. And yeah. you had to do a liturgy within that time. And um, it was quite challenging because, I mean, I've never done before, but challenging and yet a good feeling of... of, of that we had actually done it. And when we accomplished the 20 minute mark and we're standing in the foyer saying goodbye to people on their way to work, um, having done just a 20 minute Eucharist with a sermon and a yeah. hymn in it is fantastic. Mm. Now that is, uh, so some of the lessons you can obviously take of this is, is how much, I'm, I'm gonna put it in inverted commas, waste <laughs> there is in the, in the liturgy. Um, so have have you found that you could tighten things up a little bit um, and bring it down to like maybe a, a one hour, 10 minute um, and not like a, a 90 minute kind of thing? When it comes to when it comes to um, the festivals, the major festivals of the church, it is it is very difficult to when there's a tradition attached to it where let's say the three hour service uh, on Good Friday. Um, when I went to St. Margaret's in Fishwick, for example, they were never used to three hours. They always did yeah. it in two hours. Um, but I stuck with the three-hour project because that's what I was raised with and that's mm -hmm. what I was trained to, to, do, to do. But now with COVID, one had to, we had to have, we, I, last year and the year before, one hour and that same liturgy with a space of an hour in between because you had to sanitize the church before the next group could come in. So yeah. it was really just, I, so I did three hours being one hour for one congregation at a time. Mm -hmm. So we had three congregations, but I did the three hour as it were, but they did. So it was very challenging to do, very, I think, very exciting to do, but not very easy to say. So in a narrative like, like the narrative we got for the passion story tomorrow, um, this is the longest passion narrative. So yeah. I just thought, let's, let's, as it were, start with that as we start now when we are, as it were, back to normal mm. um, and, and, capture, and capture that. Um, 
but you st I still am still aware of time because you have a 7.30 service and you have a 9.30 service. How do you complete all of that? So you don't, you're not bringing the one on top of the other and yet give people a sense of the journey of worship, um, celebrating an event of Christ that we believe is important mm. uh, in, in the liturgical calendar to begin to celebrate Easter, we have to take this journey, uh, the Via Media, we have to take it, um, sorry, the Via Dalla Rosa. Yeah. yeah. Take it from <laughs> I was wondering why you were saying Via Media. Now. Via Media is an expression in the in Anglicanism of being middle of the road, <laughs> embracing all the good of all. Yeah, but but that is that is it because look, it's 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 really um, the journey with Christ that we are taking, the journey of the one called the new humanity. Yeah, um, you know. Yeah, and obviously that the story doesn't change. Uh, I was listening. My my son had a question. Um, I think his original question was, "What happens to the palm crosses afterwards?" I admired the grace in which he entertained you when you were explaining the palm, like the Palm Sunday story to him. Okay. <laughs> I was like, no, I was like, don't you know this? <laughs> like, this wasn't actually your question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the story is obviously like we're picking it up directly from last week um, with the Lazarus resurrection. So now they move on to Bethpage. Um, and the, the Mount of Olives, and you can see, because they were like two kilometers outside of Jerusalem um, in, in the last story. Obviously, you've chosen over the last, this week included, um, the longest passages <laughs> in the Bible. Oh, just just a little a little bit on that. Like, were there condensed versions of this that, that, that you could have put through? Um, or is this just the prescribed reading? Is this actually no. the... In in the one setting, there is two, one, a shorter version, yeah. uh, starting with Matthew 26, but another, um, I, I think it's a starting at a later verse. Yeah. And then there is the, then the, in, the, in, the, in one of the other newer ones, it has the, um, a shorter version. And this is the shortest version you can choose mm -hmm. for this year from Matthew 27, verse 11 to 54. Yeah. But then you you lose what, what it's connected to in the earlier part of the reading. Yeah. So in fact, the question would be, when they, when they thought of this as part of liturgy, the passion narrative, they needed to ask themselves, so how in year A, Matthew's gospel, where does this, where's the starting point? Of, um, of it. So here you would see the starting point is then one of the 12 who was called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest. So it's interesting, mm. you start with Judas Iscariot with the, the, the betrayal yeah. that has happened now. So does the passion narrative start with the betrayal? Um, no, it doesn't, as I will argue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for example, on Holy Monday, we have a reading um, uh, for that John chapter 12 is 1 to 11. It's the Holy, it's the Eucharistic reading for Holy Monday. Mm -hmm. And in the Holy Monday, it starts, it's my question when I reflected on this was, so how do we prepare for Calvary was my question. Uh, and, and how do we prepare for our own Calvary, um, our own death, in other words. And it starts with a picture of hospitality visitation and hospitality. Yeah. Um, yeah. It starts with Jesus being at the house of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. It starts with him eating with them. It starts then with she showing him even further hospitality of the of the one who washes his feet with perfume and dries them yeah. with yeah. you know his uh, tears as well. And it ends though those 11 verses end with an interesting part of the narrative because there's also antagonistic behavior. Judas Iscariot plays a part in that narrative because mm. he's upset that she wasted so much money on balm yes. that could have fed the poor, although he had no regard for the po for poverty. And then the, 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 then these guys come in, um, the chief priests, 
now thinking they needed to dispense of Lazarus. So death, that the, the plotting of assassination comes in. Now, why did they want to kill Lazarus? Why was Jesus not the target, but Lazarus was the target? Yeah. And yeah. That it says, because of his, let me put it for want of better words, sharing about Jesus, that many of the Jews that supported the chief priests and followed them, no longer followed them, but follow, follow Jesus. Here's a political game, obviously, you know, yeah. uh, going on. So it's quite interesting to see where this narrative starts and why would it start then. When you choose, let's say, Matthew 27, 11 to 54, why would you choose it starting at that point mm. and uh, in a shorter version of the, of the what we call the passion narrative? So it's very interesting, the starting points of, of these things. Yeah, it yeah. is. And then there's, there's that, that interesting thing that I've seen now with, with American-driven Christian media, um, where they, they really try and make a distinction between Mary of Magdalene and Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And I know this is this is a hotly this is hotly contested territory, um, where in the in the Matthew Gospel or at least the, was it the Mark Gospel last week? From the Gospel, it was Matthew. Um, was Matthew. Sorry, John. It was John. It was John. Yeah, the, the, the John Gospel explicitly states that it is the same Mary, sister of Lazarus, that is the one who washed. Or use the, the the thingy. So it's like in a lot of like I've seen plays and like they chose the chosen and stuff where they'll associate the the what is it called where she did it with a perfume and she was um, yeah the anointing the anointing with Mary Magdalene, um, but then they make a separation with like Lazarus's sister and like there's another Mary. Um, so, so like, talk me through this kind of this theological debate because it it is actually important to establishing that starting point because then the starting point goes back even further um, to saving the woman from the stoning because that John is then, that is then a, a revolutionary kind of move and that's like the first outward signs of of the sin. Um, you know, like stopping that kind of stoning, which was a ritual practice um, with, within, it was permitted under the, the law. The law know? of Moses, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Jesus brought in the morality of the issue. Anybody yeah. has sin, has no sin cast the first stone. Indeed. That changed the whole, the whole thing. And I think, you know, um, again, when you, when you, when you're busy with oral tradition, mm. you know, if you were just to say, Mary, uh, where would you have attached this whole thing to? Mary Magdalene is also called Mary of Magdala. So yeah. the Mary belonging, who comes from a particular place. Um, then there was the Mary who was the prostitute, uh -huh. because that's that, the, 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 the trying to understand why would she be motivated to uh, uh, use these, this, uh, this balm, this very expensive perfume? Um, because, you know, to, to afford that balm, you would have to have saved your salary for a whole year. Yeah. Yeah. So a woman owning that balm is either a very wealthy woman or she made the money through prostitution. Mm. And that part of... Or, and there was also the Mary out of whom Jesus had driven seven devils. So the question would be, are, are, what's, what, who's the one related to Lazarus? Because in this context, it is at the home of Lazarus that the washing of the feet with tears and perm and, 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 and uh, you know, anointing it with perfume. Yeah. Uh, was it a sign of gratitude? For, for Jesus for having saved and changed her life and given her a new sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and that it was it therefore out of prostitution that he had, you know, um, brought her. 
So it's interesting because um, when you have oral, oral tradition and people tell a story, the, the facts are not always, yeah. you know, relied upon. So, you know, when we read in this story where the washing of the feet happened, it would be it would be Lazarus's sister, mm. uh, the one who sat at Jesus' feet. But would she be Mary of Bethany? Because that's where Lazarus then stayed. Yeah. Um, however, it was a Mary. And the capture in John's gospel was Lazarus's sister. Mm. What was she doing? Because Jesus stood up for her. Jesus spoke out for her when Judas was quite critical about what she had done. Yeah. And he was saying she was doing this to prepare him for his death. Mm. Um, even though she may not even have interpreted that, that so was her action therefore one of gratitude and therefore was Lazarus' sister the prostitute was she the Mary who Jesus drove out demons for so that is where the research happens to try and understand if we're wanting to know there's more than one Mary who is that Mary that yeah. to Jesus. So they, 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 I think that the oral tradition does sometimes have, will have, I mean, oral tradition will have um, not every, every fact attached to what actually happened because people have to recall their memories mm. as they told their story as witnesses. Uh, and witnesses don't always remember everything about the scene. But there's one person throughout this narrative that has like <laughs> godlike memory, <laughs> and 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 that is Jesus, and and this is a, a scholar of the law of Moses. This is a scholar of scripture. This is someone who knows backwards and forwards, upside down, can say it with his eyes closed. Doesn't need to read this. I mean, he's. he's uh, he learned from original texts in in Egypt. Um, uh, I was I was doing a, a lot of like background kind of research on 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 the scholar that is Jesus, like the the prodigy, the 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 prodigy. Sorry, um, the 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 child, like where he would have formed, and like this is all like Egypt when they were in exile, um, and then they moved back to like Nazareth, and then you can you can kind of piece together his understanding of the world and injustice because like it it's it's telling that this figure would have sought refuge in the place or in the country where the the hebrews were persecuted or at least Entrapped in 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 slavery, and then move as a free person under under cover of like <laughs> I mean they they didn't really have ID books at the time <laughs> or yes. facial recognition at the borders and like that sort of yes. stuff. So in, in relative anonymity, move back to like far away from the the judiciary center. So like grew up on the like the periphery of 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 society and then takes his place as as the person who they initially wanted to get rid of. Yes. So now he moves in and they move and he so the raising of Lazarus from the dead, that is outside of of the laws and the, the prophecies that that were fulfilled like that. That was just like a that was just a bit of bonus sprinkled on top. But it's important because. You get a Jesus who understands everything that he needs to do to be seen as the Messiah. So, like one of them is fulfilling this prophecy um, that says, Tell the Lord, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you must enter through this like certain gate that he does enter through. And this is like the whole Palm Sunday thing. But he just raised somebody from the dead <laughs> two kilometers outside of Jerusalem. 
So there's like people who ran ahead to go tell their family. Because like if you saw someone like do a miracle, you'd be like, I need to go tell my mommy or like something. And so there's already this hype. And then the symbol happens. But then why do we, or at least Christians, give that moment the grace of being a fulfillment of the prophecy and then still persecute Judas as a betrayer when Jesus had full knowledge of everything that needed to happen for him to be like, this symbol of, of Christianity that he is now. Why don't we give Judas grace? Hashtag justice for Judas. Every year it happens. Come on, guys. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, uh, look, I, one of my responses would be that we are talking here about um, a climate in which the oppressed Jews uh, were looking forward to a Messiah yeah. Uh, coming to save them. So messianic expectations was was high in the air. There was a deep longing for this to happen. Mm -hmm. They could only go back to the Hebrew Bible to try and trace um, how this is prophesied. Yeah. How, yeah. What indication did God give the prophets of old? Because look, this was experience of being in exile under oppression. There are many um, um, stories in the Old Testament where a free Israel goes into a, an oppressed state because of their disobedience to God and then comes out through it because the prophet, um, you know, God gives them foresight that this was going to happen. So they come, they come out again. So what, what, what text would, could they look to? for uh, liberation what 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 could they um mount their hopes on if i can put it like that and were there there signs in the old testament that would say if this happens then then he must be the messiah yeah. but people were struggling with who jesus was because there were certain minds about again as we talked earlier about law it's the whole if you are able to interpret the law in favor of your client, um, if you're able to strongly persuade um, those listening that this has happened, but if you look at the law, then this is how you need to interpret what has happened. And therefore, based on the law, the person should be free or not. So based on the interpretation of what, who would, who, would, they, would they know how the, how the, how the Messiah looked? Or was it symbolism like he will come on, uh, 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 he will be, be riding into the city, yeah. he will yeah. come through that gate. Was this all um, there? Because, I mean, I can't remember in the, I do remember that there was one return of David after he had conquered whatever, whoever it was, the Philistines was his main enemy, I think. So he comes back into the, to the gates and Saul's, daughter, Michael, um, and others, um, there were women dancing around him because they were revering this warrior who had defeated the enemy on their behalf. But he's despised by his wife, who happened to be the daughter of the king, Saul. Um, now, the figure of the warrior king riding into um, the successful warrior king gives the messianic image so yeah jesus comes on um and he's as it was seen in this light that's why the song that is sung um uh you know uh the the, the song that is sung when we enter when we have the the the, the, the procession Hosanna to the son of David, yeah. uh, the king of Israel. And then the son of David comes in the name of the Lord. So blessed be him, Hosanna in the highest. So it's a praise song um, and they reflect on the uh, David 
the one who was that warrior king. And so messianic uh, expectations was in the atmosphere, in the air, when they saw Jesus doing this. But they misinterpreted the kind of victory or kind of way he was going to tackle this whole thing. Um, in his mind, the Messiah was not just to be the Messiah f on a national level for a particular race of people or group of people, but that the, the, he was meant to be the savior of the world. Um, and so that's where the misinterpretation came, where questions were raised by the leaders of the time because their study of the, the Hebrew text, Jesus didn't fit that um, messianic figure that they were longing for. So hence, um, now the story changes from, you know, this hallelujah praise song into crucify him narrative. Given the, the rhythm of the readings and as they set out by the lectioners, um, where we're preparing to go, where we're preparing to focus on Jesus, um, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, yeah. himself dying and ra being raised from the dead. Um, uh, what 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 was the re because look John's John's narrative around that was written much later than the narrative of Matthew and Mark and Luke in terms of the passion narrative. Um, would it be why why do the why you, one of the things you learn about the lectionary is that year A, B, and C are all connected to the Synoptic Gospels. And then John is interspersed in various points on that journey. So what has happened was that we had, um, we then have to ask ourselves this question. So when you have the narrative of Lazarus is raising from the dead, and now you have Jesus's entry into Jerusalem on a high note of praise, people would have already heard what he had did in Bethany. Yeah. Um, and so they would have, um, I mean, I, I see no problem with that because look, the hype of Jesus was, was going on around. But reflecting back to the passage I spoke about earlier of John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 1 to 11, which is the Holy Week, um, the Holy Week, uh, um, Monday's gospel reading. Yeah. Um, Jesus, um, when he's at Bethany and having this dinner and having his feet washed, um, the news about him went out. You, you hear that phrase? The news about him went out that he was there and the crowds gathered. Yeah. So, so obviously, when people are interested in something, they will then carry back the message of what they have seen and heard. Um, and so the hype would be on, you know, did you see this? Did you hear this? Look what this guy has been doing. Now he rides like this warrior king into Jerusalem. So I, I don't have a problem with, with recognizing that uh, we can see the flow from the one into the other. Although the, 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 the important part of the narrative for me of Lazarus raising from the dead was two things at least, there may be more, is in the weeping that Jesus did, um, was he sharing in this, in solidarity with human struggle with death and loss? And um, how does God come alongside us? Does he also weep when we are weeping, as the, as the songwriter says? Is, is that how the Messiah is, is to be understood? Not somebody that is distant from our pain and suffering, our emotional 
and psychological um, response to the tragedies that we experience in this life. Um, that he can actually feel for us, yeah. feel with us, and identifies with us. But then he also rises from that, um, where he challenges faith and belief and trust in him. Because if we don't have faith, trust, and belief, what then becomes of us? Um, we, uh, faith, belief, and trust is, is a stabilizing factor in our lives. Um, and so Jesus then has this conversation with Martha earlier on, but uh, saying, look, this is who I am to you. And, you know, when we think of, 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 of how Moses asked God, now who do I tell Pharaoh you are that sent me? Here in the Gospels, Jesus says, this is who I am. So one of the I am statements is, I am the resurrection and the life. And Mary, Martha, sorry, do you believe this? And he stood there when the grave was still closed, yeah. making that declaration about himself. So people would have heard it. I mean, they would have heard this because it was close to the grave. It was there where this interaction happens. So I think all of that would have contributed to him being received so well uh, as he entered in the in, in the way that he did on this riding on a donkey, not walking into the city, but riding, yeah. which would have been a sign of a a warrior king um, that was coming to 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 set people free, um, and so 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 was Judas. And I think I read this many years ago in a novel around Judas, um, the betrayer. Was Judas disappointed, therefore, that Jesus didn't turn out to be the kind of Messiah they had hoped for? And, and, and as such, um, he, he was then going to portray, he was then going to betray what he would have thought is the imposter. Hmm. And that would have justified the the scribes and the Pharisees and those that were antagonistic towards Jesus. Because if one of your own then turns around and comes and says, man, I thought he was the one, but hey, this is not really, uh, you're not really the one. And so this novel tries to portray Judas in that, because we, I mean, we'd all through, as you said earlier on, we all struggle with why, was Judas, it would seem, be the scapegoat. Yeah. You know, um, why is he portrayed in this? Like with, you know, with Thomas, Jesus, Jesus, one of Jesus' appearance, Thomas is not there. The other disciples tell him, we saw the Lord. He's, he's not interested in, I, we saw the Lord. He's interested in, you know, if this is an imposter, or is it the one whose hands would show he was on the cross? whose side would show what we saw when we saw him hanging on the cross, the, the, the pierced side. So unless I see that, unless I put my hands in it, I will not believe. So again here, uh, is, is, there, is there a part of how the gospel is addressing the, the understanding from or the interpretation of the time? Was Jesus the imposter or was he for real? This is true. And then he has some, well, not imposter syndrome later on in the story as well, where in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, it's like, please, if there's any way, let this cup pass, pass me by and that sort of thing. And then there's that, there, I'm always drawn when it comes to Eastertide to that one line where Jesus kind of says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for me, that's, that's indicative of this internal conflict that was probably happening where he was unsure of whether this all happens. And for me, it makes sense um, the way I interpret the, the Lazarus thing where that is a, an intervention in my mind by a God that understands that the people aren't ready to receive the 
the sign yet. It's like it needed a little bit of extra momentum to get it over the hill. And it's like, cool. <laughs> Let, let's kill off his best friend. And then he's going to raise him from the dead. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's silly when I say it now, but in, in my mind, it, it kind of makes sense where there's, there's this, this, like Jesus, if you, if you have to submit to the idea that, that like he's now just acting on, on what is foretold and what must happen. And then this also excludes or excuses Judas because Judas is also acting on some, by some external force. Now you have yeah. Jesus that isn't really in control of, of his destiny, you know, and, and how that actually affects him and how that comes out in these moments of, of weakness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that pops in my mind now, as you say it like that, is what are, what are, what were the responses to Jesus um, in his, as he, as he journeyed doing what he did, saying who he was and having this purpose that he believed as, you know, that it was, that it was a divinely guided purpose. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. So we have various responses to that, even those whom he drew into the his inner circle did not fully grasp in one sense, didn't fully believe um, because for them this was, you know, unreal as it were. And in, in them being the ordinary people looked frowned upon, how come they are now drawn into this um, um, magnificence beyond their imagination? So, would there be responses of doubt? Would there be responses of, um, you know, the way we ultimately Judas was, was Judas, a, was Judas uncertain of who Jesus was? Hmm. Was Judas really the person moved by money and the power of money that he would be the one who would point out to the Sadducees, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, that that's the, the guy I'm talking about, because it would seem as if they their soldiers wouldn't even have known. So, and would, would Judas's betrayal be so dramatic, such as a kiss, that it's, it's a normal greeting in the Mediterranean climate, mm. um, that that would be the kiss of betrayal. What was Judas... Um, really not totally committed to Jesus as a disciple. Um, so for me, it comes down to the, this: what are the, what are, what were the responses to who Jesus was and what Jesus said? Um, and would people f feel that? Uh, you remember the debate in the in the story last week with the blind man. Between the, the that part of the narrative, between the blind man and the Pharisees, the Jews as they were called. Now, now, who do you think this guy is? And then, and then he was 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 saying, well, if if he opens up my eyes, then what do you think this guy? Who do you think this guy is then? And of course, they said, well, you to talk to us like that. <laughs> Yeah. After all, we are the main men, main men when it comes to interpretation. Well, if you are the main people, then who do you think he is if he can open the eyes of blind people? Or in case in my case, I now can see when I couldn't see. So here's a struggle of belief because somebody comes into the picture that was blind and says, I now can see this man touched my eyes. And told me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, how, how if the, if that family was really committed to the temple where they served, and it would seem as if they were known, how would the people not know that their son was blind? Yeah. 
because even the neighbors seem to have issues. So it, it really does begin to ask oneself the question, uh, are we also reading the narrative and seeing what were these responses to Jesus in, 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 as, he, as he journeyed? Like, you know, there are probably numerous responses in the whole passion narrative mm. to ultimately asking the question, who is Jesus? And why does the gospel writer use this narrative to bring out an understanding of him being who he said he was, um, savior of the world? That's the purpose he came, that his death on the cross was was not to be interpreted as, um, as a failure of his mission, but the actual part of his mission. Now, we stand in the the 21st century and we ask that vital question, who is Jesus then, that he would matter today? Mm-hmm. We are then invited to travel in the steps of the, the narrative and begin to ask that question again and again and again. Who is Jesus to me? Do I, do I believe the witness of the Christian community of the past who gave us this story of hope. Hmm. And I think, I think a lot of my, my thinking of, of like casting Jesus as, as this figure that was not entirely in control of his own destiny um, and, and citing like those, those specific points in, in the passion narrative where you, you can see it bubbling over is actually, <laughs> and you're going to be quite surprised by this, um, inspired by the reading that I, yeah, the second reading, which is Paul's least um, <laughs> offensive letter, which is to the Philippians, <laughs> chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Um, so, so it goes like this. Let the same mind be in you that was in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who... Though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And like, I, I can imagine that that, that this is, is taken from from, from from a fanboy who who has studied the character of Jesus through the stories that he has been told and has arrived at this point where it's like this 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 wasn't this wasn't like an angel that came down like like this this wasn't a an infallible because whatever I may say and however that gets interpreted the the point remains is that this is a story about a man that led a revolution and I think in the magnification of Jesus we sometimes forget the humanity, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, Well said. Uh, The chapter actually starts very interesting. The second chapter says, if there is any, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. So could there be a unity of thought about who Jesus is to us? And he does use the word Christ, which is closely associated with the word um, Messiah, the anointed one. And in in the fifth verse, he talks about Christ Jesus. So he brings uh, the historical Jesus in, and the title given to Jesus 
is Messiah Jesus, anointed one Jesus. And so as a Pharisee, he would have been a, he would have been aware of the terms Messiah and anointed one. And his engagement with those who witnessed like Peter and the other apostles um, and his own encounter um, would have in that encounter that in Acts chapter 9 when he asks, but who are you, Lord? And he said, so Lord would be a title. So who are you, Lord? And then he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. So he reveals the name Jesus. Yeah. So who is this Jesus? Would that be the one who walked the face of the earth? Uh, for Christians, that is the Emmanuel God with us reflected in John's gospel of Jesus. Uh, which is a latter one. So obviously, much reading and conversation, research had happened. And so John brings out the gospel that he does. So yes, um, it, 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 um, he then brings out, he then I think in a way combines what, what we struggle with, the divinity and the humanity of, uh, you know, of Jesus. Um, was Jesus human and divine? Was Jesus only divine? Here you will have the whole train of thought, the Gnosticism. He was he was a divine in a human body. He wasn't really, you know. So again, he had responses to who Jesus was. Well, Paul writes from a prison cell and asks this question, if there is any encouragement in Christ. So go and check out, is there encouragement in Christ? And then he goes and tells us uh, what what turns out actually to be um, also a hymn that was sung in the in the churches uh, of Paul's time, um, revering Jesus, who took on. I mean, I, I, you you cannot say it any better, can you? Emptied himself. Kenosis is the Greek word, taking the form of a slave coming in human likeness. So in other words, he really truly embodies our humanity. It's, it's the incarnation, isn't it? The form of God who takes on humanity, who envelops the condition of humanity. Um, even, even the condition of humanity inclusive of death. Because part of being human is to live and to die. And, and, and that's, that's kind of also my point where, where another condition of humanity is that you have to live with other people and yeah. be interpreted by other people. Yeah, in, absolutely. In that, like Judas is just fully justified in questioning this person's motives, you know? Questioning, because Judas, Judas wasn't, he wasn't like a straight up Jew. He wasn't like a staunch, um, he, he was, he, he kind of floated around in the, <laughs> in the background. Um, and he was more a man, a man of the people in, in, in my reading of, of, of him, where he had, oh, I say that, uh, I qualified by saying he, he had more of a, a kind of feeling of where the common man was at. Um, I think part of, part of the problem with with Judas is that we we often read into his narrative yes. what we don't find coming from his engagement, such as when he, when 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 Jesus's feet is washed with this or anointed with this perfume his response is why this waste yeah so does that reveal to us how he actually saw jesus now though jesus stood up and spoke out for this woman and says you know this is what she's doing do not insult her mm. um so how was jesus then how was judas then interpreting who jesus was so it, it doesn't come, it, 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 there's something underlying here that we need to find out when he says, why waste yeah. this um, money on 
this expensive perfume to be used in this way. Mm. Whereas Jesus, Jesus was saying she was (laughs) referencing me in what I still had to go through for the world. And that was to die. Um, Because, I mean, perfume and stuff were used in those years to preserve a dead body. Mm. Um, And we've read read about the spices and all of that. So uh, the same with with Lazarus. Four days, the spices were no longer going to hold and there would be a stench. So the the so again here yeah, we don't we don't fully um, all that which is which is given to us and even when it comes to I mean he was one he wasn't he was he was one he's one of the voices of a disciple but he was not uh, he didn't portray he didn't the story doesn't tell us that he was actually rec- recognizing Jesus as the savior of the world. He didn't seem to be a true disciple of the idea that Jesus had called them to follow him. I will make you fishes of men, uh, you know, and this was how that was going to happen. Yeah, he was just Did out he, for the liberation of the people. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that particularly. I did know that he had, um, he had a, a personal agenda of 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 his own economy. That's what I pick up in the readings. Whether he had an agenda, f- I mean, if you were going to sell out somebody for any reason, for the purposes of money, then what agenda do you have? But again, he was not in control of his own destiny. If there wasn't a Judas, there wouldn't be a Jesus. We may not be in control of uh, our destiny, but we have a control over the choices we make within that destiny. We do, but if there wasn't a Judas, if there wasn't a betrayal, there would be no Jesus Christ. There would be no Christianity. There would be no... Oh, oh they, they would be. Ooh. They would be because... Because the two themes that are held very close to the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus is that which is in humanity, both betrayal and denial. Going into Palm Sunday tomorrow, immediately that, that he enters and is revered as the Messiah in Messianic terms, he also, the narrative goes on to show the same folk that would revere him for whatever reasons they understood it in terms of the history of a messianic expectation would be the ones who, given what the religious leaders could conjure up, he becomes someone to be despised. So there will always be a betrayer in humanity. They named them necessarily have to be Judas. Uh, Judas played that role, but they were the folk who turned on him. There's this, um, so betrayal and denial would be there because humanity is there. So, in other words, if there was no humanity um, facing the consequences of death, then perhaps there wouldn't be a Jesus who was needed to save humanity who ultimately would also betray the very saviour that takes the burden of their sins upon him. I don't know whether this would add to to what point that I'm making, but it just strikes me that in Paul's passage, one of Paul's passages of the Romans, he says, it was while we were still at enmity with God that Christ died for us. So the existence of enmity towards God is very much within the human experience, if I can put it like that. So if you are listening to this on Palm Sunday, um, please make sure that you catch the other one that's going to come later in the week in the feed as well. Um, that's going to go deep into like the law discussion and stuff, because I think there were two separate conversations that we landed up here. And 90 minutes is a lot to ask for somebody to <laughs> listen to my voice and to the, the reference voice. But thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for being open to these conversations.
Um, I know I boiled over in my frustration uh, because, like, I, I articulate these things in, in real time. Like, these, these are thoughts, this, these are thoughts that happened in different times of my life that kind of crystallize when, when, when I have these conversations. So, um, if I get, it is not aggression, I think it's more passion. Because <laughs> I'm really passionate about, about the, the way these things have, has been misused.